open to Hebrews chapter 5 this morning. Oz, if you would put that Philippian scripture on the screen there, Oz or Noah, appreciate that. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 makes this very famous statement, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's my target. Uh, my goal this morning is to encourage us to confidence in Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here. When you read that in context, he says, I've learned. I've learned how to live with nothing. I've learned how to live with plenty. And uh, over the course of his learning experience, his training of living by faith in Christ, he became supremely confident, not in his own ability, but in the ability of Jesus Christ to provide everything that he needed, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, socially. His whole life was just, well, he said it so best, right, in Galatians 2.20. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. And so my goal this morning is to encourage us in confidence in Christ. I guess you'd say that's the title of today's message, Confidence in Christ. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 5, and I hope to show you why this is the message from the text here this morning. Uh, let's pick it up. Um, you know what? Let me just... Start at verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Just as a quick reminder, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians who had a Jewish background. So they're very familiar with a high priest's office. This was what they lived with for thousands of years as it was established in Moses' era, right, when the people were in the wilderness. Um, so, very contemporary in their thinking. He says in verse 2, he can have, the high priest can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That's Psalm 2, verse 7. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110, verse 4 who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. And now we enter into today's message. Of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, 
the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is, um, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The writer to the Hebrews uh, pinpoints a problem, spiritual immaturity. His solution is very simple, grow up. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Uh, Well, how are we going to do that? So what I'd like to do is um, spend, if I can, by God's grace, just kind of regulate my time to spend about half of our time just looking at these four verses, 11 through 14, uh, coming to a clear understanding of what the author is saying. And then I want to spend the other half of the time uh, just being discipled by Jesus himself, uh, who, much like this author, kind of lovingly would would rebuke his disciples. Um, Spiritual immaturity is something that We need to grow out of by faith and uh, I would say by taking inventory of the treasure that has been handed to us. First and foremost, the very life of Jesus himself. And I think that's the point the author is making, is that he's been going out of his way and he's really entering in now to send the message to the church in general that we have a high priest who lives. He's a high priest not for 30 years, not just for within the the period of time in which he was called into service, but forever. Our high priest is still the high priest. He functioned as a high priest ultimately in going to the cross. He's the one who accomplished our salvation for us. But he now he's ascended and he's still our high priest. And so my point is, and I think the point of the author, is he wants them to learn to live in reality in a close personal relationship, actively communicating, relating to Jesus, regardless of the situation that they're living in. And, and they're, they're falling short of that. And so he's, he's encouraging them to this. And he, in, a, in a sense, there comes a time, I guess, in where just a good kind of rebuke is necessary. You need to take an inventory. You're you're, you're a little bit immature and and unnecessarily pathetic in the fact that you're just sitting around licking your wounds. Uh, The author is actually being a little bit aggressive with these people, and they're actually being, they're going through suffering for, for goodness sakes. We'll talk about that for a bunch. But there's a point in time where it's like, wait a minute. What do I know is true? What do I know that is true that has been communicated to me by the Spirit of God at the time of my regeneration and and through the instruction of His Word? This is the treasure in which we have. The Word made flesh and the Word in writing. And, And the promises that just pour out of these pages that apply to us as His children, the author saying, take inventory, grow up, Start to live up to the standard of hope and peace that's been offered to you in Christ. 
And so he says in verse 11, of whom, referring back to Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I want you to notice the word become. It's an indicator of time. It's an indicator that for a period of time now, something that has gone on that has left them uh, in a place where they're dull of hearing, a process actually of not applying by faith what they knew to be true about God. Like their ancestors in the wilderness, which the author has talked about previous couple of chapters, they had, if they had just taken inventory, that was a word that came to mind during worship, if they had just taken inventory of the things that they knew were true about God, the experiences that they had, the manifestation of his power while they were in Egypt, the various plagues, the Red Sea parting, them passing through, God protecting them from the army, his daily 24-7 presence, pillar of fire, pillar of, of, of cloud, his provision for them, water and food, everything that sustained them. And then for about a year, this goes on protected them in warfare. They finally get to the promised land, the land that was promised to them by Abraham, or through Abraham, all firstly, and they come right up to the threshold of the promised land. Report comes back from a little intel. There's giants in there. And they were like, we can't do this. Right? So had they taken inventory, there was a process of not applying by faith what these people knew to be true about God. And it left, really, it dishonors God. It dishonors Him. It does not bring Him the glory that He deserves, even in their suffering. So the author says, you've become dull of hearing. Um, I have things to say to you about Melchizedek. I have much to say to you. He's actually going to say it, regardless, in chapter 7. He says, but... It's hard to explain. Uh, in other words, it ought not to be that way. And let me just tell you, friends, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a, a schooled man. I have not had extensive education in my life. But um, as the Lord came in to my life and just gave me um, a love for Him... <laughs> because of his love for me, it just over the period of time of just study and reading, and, and eventually the Lord called me into ministry, uh, into this wonderful privilege of, of feeding his sheep and teaching and exampling for them what it means to live by faith. More was required. And, and the weight of standing and, and giving God's word is pretty it's a weight. It's, it's a responsibility. But here I'm telling you all that to tell you this. That in the course of my life as a pastor, in trying to understand what the Word of God says, I began to consult commentators. Really good thinking theologians. And you know what I discovered? I would read with a dictionary, because <laughs> they start using big million dollar words, and by the time I got all done figuring out what they were saying, I was like, well, I knew that. 
I already knew that. It's just that you said it more clearly than I could say it. And I'm helpful to have been told that because now I understand it a little bit better, but I already knew that. And I think that's what the author's saying. It's hard to explain, but it ought not to be that way. Maybe nobody's ever torn apart Psalm 110 verse 4 about Melchizedek, but you ought to know that your high priest is alive. And through your experience with him, his wonderful mercy to forgive your sin and that communication that avenue that is always open is Brother Jabez, Jabez, sorry, prayed, right? Just going in boldly, confidently to the throne of grace. We ought to know that. And he's saying, you don't know that. That's too bad. You're sitting on a treasure and it's going to waste. So it's hard to explain. And it's become dull of hearing. And don't misunderstand, brothers. They're poor listeners. It's not that they were unable to hear. It's just that they didn't have any interest in the message anymore. They'd sort of become indifferent to it. So lesson from that, I would say right off the bat, is hard hearts and unbelief cause hearing impairment. Where I just begin to not really... Things become more complex and, and there becomes a lack of interest in, in the truth that, I, that I'm hearing. And by the way, hearing, you know, in the spiritual life, in Christianity, we hear with our hearts. We receive and nourish our souls on the bread of life by what we hear, that is, the truth that comes off the pages to us. The fellowship that we share with one another. As we talk about the Word of God, we commune together. We hear with our hearts. And so, because of hardness of heart and unbelief, it was putting earplugs in. Hearing impairment was coming. And there was a, a, a lack there. Verse 12, Though for this time, or by this time, you ought to be teachers, by this time, another time indicator, right? By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles are the scriptures of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. So the message seems pretty clear to me. That by this time, you ought to be teachers. It seems quite clear, brothers and sisters, that we're personally responsible for the truth that God has given us. And we're personally accountable to God for the truth that He's revealed to us. We're personally responsible... And we're personally accountable for the truth that he has given to us. I think the parable of the talents makes that abundantly clear. God gave gifts to his talents, to his servants, and those who were faithful took responsibility. They knew there was a day of accounting coming. They, they were rewarded for that. And there was that one, unfortunately, who was a wicked servant and sort of hid his treasure and was not faithful. There, there was not a, a sense of responsibility. Uh, I think another thing that comes very clear from this instruction that the author is giving is that we won't get more light until we've been responsible with the light we've already got. You're not going to get more. We're not going to grow until we've been obedient with what he's already given us. So by this time, you ought to be teaching others. And yet, you need to be taught. He closes the last part of verse 12, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. 
Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. All right, so, you know, I don't know where your mind's going right now, but he's intentionally painting a word picture for us. It's fairly gross, actually, in that he's got an adult person nursing. It's like, that's weird, right? Or maybe you could just think of uh, an adult in a, in a stroller being pushed by grandma down the sidewalk, right? A full-grown man with a binky and a diaper. I'm wet. <laughs> you know, all you need is milk. In other words, you're, you're at a point in your spiritual growth where the only thing that you can tolerate is a simple message. But maturity... You should be able to handle a message about Melchizedek just through your own personal study. Everyone who partakes only of milk becomes unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a baby. (laughs) Um, Word of righteousness, exactly what does that mean? I think possibly it may refer to the doctrine of righteousness, that is, imputed righteousness. Uh, It also, and I think likely, could refer to, additionally, practical righteousness. So let me just say it more simply. Right life, right living. Imputed righteousness, important works of righteousness. Imputed worth, as Brother Andrew is reminding us this morning, I am a child of God. Right? Imputed worth and value in his eyes. Regardless of what the opinion is of generally of others. And important works. And it seems to me that what the author is saying, that if you're not maturing and, and understanding the word of God for yourself, then you're susceptible to disease. That is the winds of doctrine that flow throughout the church whenever the church is around. Paul said that in Ephesians. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers for the edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, that we be no more children tossed to and fro. No more little children tossed to and fro. So there's an expectation of responsibility with the truth that we've received. And God bless this man, truthfully, to stand up, to look at his brothers and sisters in the eye and say, you need to grow up, son. You need to man up and take some responsibility for the truth that God has given you. Do an inventory and, and take stock of the, of the many times, as Olivia was mentioning, God bless you guys, the many times that God has, has met you in your need. And, and with that, he's, it pleases him to bless us but comes with that an expectation to not stumble the next time it comes. That we'd be like a Paul to say, I can do all things in Christ. Who strengthens me? What, a, what a, an amazing statement that Paul makes there near the end of his life. Verse 14, kind of the solution that he gives to the, the issue of spiritual immaturity, he says it here in verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are full of 
who are of full age, that is those, here it is, who by reason of use, who by reason of use, in other words, through continual practice, who by continual practice, by constant use of what? Of the Word of God. have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I love that word exercise. The author uses it again. We get our word gymnasium from that word. And so immediately you can go, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. Well, what do you do when you go to the gym? You sweat, hopefully. (laughs) Heart rate goes up, there's sweat, there's effort, there's exertion that's put into this thing. If a good... Whoever, athlete, would push themselves to the brink and then beyond, right? I tried running for several years. And I say try because I don't have very good lung capacity. And as I got started, man, it was all I could do to get a half a mile in. Little walk, little run kind of thing. And then I'd try to push myself a little bit further. Meanwhile, every molecule in my body is like screaming, stop! (laughs) But you learn, you're not going to get any better until you push through that as much as it hurts. And it got to the point where I could do a 5K in, you know, 45 minutes. Just kidding. About seven minutes, actually. Eight-minute mile. I was kind of proud of that. But it took a lot of effort. It took a lot of pounding the pavement, of determination, of discipline, getting back out there and doing it. I think hardly anything that's great is accomplished without consistent effort or hard work, whether it's athletics, academics, arts, business, marriage, parenting, or unity in the body of Christ. It takes hard work. And the the author has sort of pinpointed this problem with his friends. And he's saying, this ought not to be. I've got many things I'd like to say to you, but it's hard for me to talk about it. I feel your pain, bro. I do. I feel your pain. For various reasons, I've, I've ended up recently in the last year and a half teaching the book of Revelation, and now it's a, a whole extended lesson on the subject of the rapture of the church. And, it's, and I'm very, very appreciative of it. It's all in the context of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. I can almost... Well, I won't go that far. I'll just say this. That I don't like the fact that if I, somebody starts talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ and Daniel's 70th week and an abomination of desolation and that there's a seven-year period of tribulation that hell breaks loose on earth, people look at you cross-eyed. It's like, are you a Christian? It's in the Bible. Why don't we know this, church? I'll tell you why. Because it's complex and it takes a lot of work. But I'm lazy, just like you. And so I've got cross-references in my Bible. I read Matthew 24. Jesus talked about how things are going to be before He comes again. But, you know, I, I study, I don't understand. There's too many other things to do in my life. Immaturity. And I can feel the bro's pain. It's like, you need to grow up. 
A large portion of our New Testament speaks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We ought not to be ignorant of this. Especially when you consider that part of the tribulation is the wrath of the devil, which God allows to pour out his evil on the world. But it doesn't look like that. It's religious. And it comes with supernatural wonders. And people start writing checks. I want in. That's powerful. What a leader we have here. Not discerning. Ah, discern good and evil through the words of righteousness. So it was just a good old-fashioned spanking <laughs> that came from this pastor, this pastor, to his, his friends. And he's just like, you need to grow up. Everything is at your disposal. I'm quoting, he, I'm, I'm just going extemporaneous here for a second, but he's like, dude, I'm quoting Psalms at various places, 95 and Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. He opened up talking so much about the Old Testament. And by the way, that's all they had. They didn't have a New Testament when he wrote this. This, they were getting parts of the New Testament. This was part. They did. I'm not even sure they realized that at the time. The Bible hadn't been compiled yet. They get this letter. He's like, you need to read the Word of God and discern what's going on. Well, read the Old Testament. It's what he's telling them. So that's what this author is doing. But he's writing to them to be confident in Christ. Do you see what's behind his, his, his challenge to them? It's like, you have at your disposal unlimited understanding of your need. Of, and he has unlimited power. And, and so, so live up to that. And I say to you again, it strikes me that we know the greater context of Hebrews, these people are suffering. They've, they've been sanctioned, they've been ostracized, they've been pushed out because of their claiming of being a believer in Jesus Christ. And you know, there's a point in time where it's good to sort of coddle your friends and come alongside and, and weep with those who weep, to pray with them and to patiently listen and to give time and money and food and read Scripture together and to show compassion by getting down on the floor and suffering with them. That is Christ-like. Absolutely, 100%. The author's sort of done that already, hasn't he? As we just read it together, he reminded us of how Jesus, been there, done that. Vehement cries, prayers in his, while he was living his earthly life. And, and he encouraged us in chapter 4, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to, to obtain mercy from my high priest, who's the king. It's a, it's a wonderful message. It's very Christ-like to do that. But friends, let me just say to you, there's a subtle danger. There's a subtle danger because you have to be clear and you have to be sure that there's not a dependence on you. All right? It feels good to feel needed. To be that one that gets the text or the email or however we communicate today that says, man, I just got to talk. Awesome. I love you, bro. Let's talk. But do like this guy. Do like John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. The best I can do is come alongside you and help put your hand into the hand of Jesus. 
Because he can ultimately help you. He knows all things. So we run the risk of getting between unlimited power and grace. Our responsibility is to encourage others to reach out to Jesus. So here's what I just silly thought, right? You stop to think about it. It's hard to pull somebody up. You've heard this analogy before, right? Somebody stands on a chair, person's lying on the floor. You try to reach down and pull that person up on the, to your chair, right? Standing on a high place, reaching down to pull another up requires sure footing, good balance, and strength. It also requires, on the other side, desire, trust, and cooperation. If you're the puller and the one lying there remains unresponsive, you need to speak to them firmly, especially if there's something dangerous, potentially dangerous. Otherwise, they'll pull you down. It's much easier to get pulled down. And in that case, you just kind of have to let go. (laughs) There will be times when, as a good friend, we'll need to call each other out. And I am thankful that I have men around me that will call me out. That they know me well enough to know there's something, you gotta, you gotta change here, bro. That's the importance of fellowship. There are times we need to do that. Lovingly rebuke for being spiritually, intellectually lazy, fearful and unbelieving, even if they're suffering. There's a, a memory that Joni and I have from years and years ago. Because uh, the Lord used... Uh, the Lord came into our lives at a time when our marriage was on the rocks, very young, 24, and uh, I'd been unfaithful. And the Lord came in and He brought Joni and I back together. But she was really struggling (laughs) to trust me. And it was really, really hard for her to go home and to live in the house with me. Rightfully so. And I wish you could know my mom. Because my mom was the most gentle, merciful, beautiful woman. And one day, Joni, shortly after we'd been saved and she's, we're visiting my parents and she, my parents knew about everything and, and she's talking to uh, my mom and she's telling her how she's struggling with this. <laughs> and my mom kind of uncharacteristically said to her, is it really that bad, Joni? <laughs> you know, she didn't get the, the pat on the back of the neck and, you know, poor Joni, you know, he betrayed you. And it was just, it was a time of just like, really, Joni, is it that bad? And it took her back. And she took a little inventory. And she said, no, nah, really, I guess it isn't. <laughs> and it changed a lot of things for us right there. That little, that loving word of rebuke. And so, with the last few minutes, I want to just show you that this is what Jesus sometimes would do. He'd reach down to pull us up, but it would have to come through maybe some hardship. So go back to Mark chapter 6. I'll just point out a couple of instances where the Lord's discipling His disciples. 
Mark chapter 6, 45, he walks on the sea. This is the scene where Jesus walks on the water. Okay, you all know this story, right? It followed, he had just got done feeding 5,000 people. It's like time everybody, time for everybody to go home. And so he tells his disciples here in Mark chapter 6, 45, now read it carefully. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. In other words, he strongly urged. In other words, brothers and sisters, there was a conflict. <laughs> Lord's like, get in the boat, I'll meet you on the other side. And they're like, well, you're not coming with us? We don't dare get in the boat anymore. Every time we get in the boat, there's a storm. And, but you take care of stuff. You've taught us that, right? Get in the boat. Uh, well, I'm not going with you this time. It's a storm of instruction. That's what this is going to be. It's going to be a, a faith builder for them. And so verse 46, when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them. Notice that. He saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Contrary winds. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed by them. <laughs> Fascinating little story here. The Lord saw what they were going through. He could see the headwinds. Brothers and sisters, fourth watch of the night is somewhere around 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. They got in the boat at, conservatively, 6 or 7 p.m. They've been rowing for hours, going nowhere. And the Lord saw it. And He didn't come to them until late in their experience. And then when He does show up, he acts like he's just going to go by them, <laughs> requiring of them to call out to him, which, of course, they did. They freaked out. They saw him walking on the sea. They supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer, it's I. Don't be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. There will be times as a good friend, as a good discipler, as a brother and a sister, where we just need to lovingly say, it's not that bad, <laughs> okay? Christ is in your life. You're going to heaven. You're going to heaven. And even in a situation of suffering, Jesus can be glorified. In fact, He wants to be glorified. He often is glorified in the lives of those who are suffering for their faith. Turn to Mark chapter 8. Verse 13. <laughs> Mark 8, 13. Jesus left them, the Pharisees, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they didn't, did not have more than one loaf with them. Then he charged them and said, Take heed, beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves and said, oh man, we forgot to bring bread. The Lord's not happy. We didn't forgot supper. Now look what he says to them. Jesus, aware of what that, he said, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive and nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? <laughs> Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears? Are you dull of hearing? 
Are you not hearing with your heart what you've seen me do? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full, full of fragments did you take up? Seven. How is it you don't understand? Take inventory. I've manifested my glory to you. This is not about food, my children. Grow up. Can I just say it? Think. Think. Give long, protracted time of just thought of what the Scriptures are saying. And had these Christians that the writers of Hebrews is talking to done that, when he goes on about Melchizedek, he could have just flown right into chapter 7. And they're like, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> Think, brothers and sisters. Look at Mark 16, verse 14. This is Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> a couple ladies have been to the tomb, and they've come back, told the disciples, tomb's empty. A couple guys walking on the road to Emmaus, they come back, hey, we saw Jesus. Chapter 16, verse 14, look at Jesus. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief. Grow up. <laughs> That's what he's saying. <laughs> really? I told you, and this is just me talking, okay? I've told you, disciples, at least three times what was going to happen when we got to Jerusalem. And every time I told you that I would be crucified and betrayed and spit on, blah, 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 and then I'd rise again the third day. And now you've had witnesses after three days, and you're sitting here in unbelief. He's pulling them up. He's, he's bringing them up to a level of confidence in himself. And that's all I just wanted to say to you this morning. Be confident in Christ, brothers and sisters. How do I do that? Let me just give you a, a couple of steps to take, if you will. First of all, be obedient with what you know. The Lord's not going to increase your faith or give you more light until we're obedient with the light that we've received. So if there's something that needs to stop in your life because it's contrary to the Word of God, then stop it for His glory. If there's something that needs to start in your life in compliance and obedience to the Word of God, then start. I know that's simplified, but it's also profound. So think Apply, grow in grace, and be confident. In closing, just turn to Romans chapter 8. Paul essentially speaks to the Christians in Rome, and he speaks to us this morning. And Paul's saying to us, we can have confidence in the salvation that Jesus has given us, in His Abiding presence is our high priest watching over us. Here in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 31, Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? Right? If God is for us, who can be against us? What an awesome statement, question. 
In other words, be valiant. Enter into a life of get out on the water. You know, we could have read the walking on the water from Matthew, and that's where it says Peter got out of the boat. Be valiant for the truth because of the gospel. Verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? You see, Paul's instilling confidence in us based on what Jesus has done. Based on the fact that He lives. Be valiant. Be venturesome. (laughs) Right? Not, Not presumptuous, but expect that God will meet you in your next trial. In your next situation. Let's just boil it right down to real life every day, right? You find yourself in a quandary. You find yourself in a, in a difficult relationship or circumstance. Bring Jesus right into that by faith. Just call out to him and say, Lord, show me how to respond in this circumstance. We're not always going to get it right, but our confidence will increase. As Paul said, I've learned. Didn't always get it right. But the longer I've trusted in Him and lived with that attitude, I've never found Him to let me down, by golly. And so to increase my confidence that I can boldly say, I can do all things through Christ. Venturesome. And Paul goes on, he talks in verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So we're valiant and venturesome. I also see here that we're vindicated. What He's accomplished, there's just beat back the, the, the thoughts of, you can't, I'm a failure. Not in His eyes. And finally, victory. You live victoriously. The famous words, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation and on he goes. Right? Verse 39, nor height, depth, any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Claim the promises. Think about what God has said. Do an inventory. Read the Scriptures. Apply them to your life. And we'll grow in our confidence. We'll grow in our discernment, as the author would say, of what is right or wrong. Inside of me, what's right or wrong.